Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another fantastic episode of Fantastic Mr. Fox Minute, the only show on the internet that talks about Wes Anderson's 2009 film, Fantastic Mr. Fox, one minute at a time. I'm Tyler Boudreaux. And I'm Condra Boudreaux. We're here to talk about Minute 77. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Awesome. I was right. Minute 77 of Fantastic Mr. Fox, which begins with Newsman Dan saying, reappear, and then it ends with Felicity saying, oh no, Foxy, because that is the mood of the movie, just always saying, oh no, Foxy, except this time it's meant in a pleasant way. Except it is filthy. It is filthy, yeah. Um, So yeah, so we kind of have two or three big phases of this minute, so we should start up with the farmers still sitting around the sewer hole. This is our farewell to the farmers. Yeah, indeed. Um, so yeah, so Newsman Dan is like, why are you still sitting here, essentially? Or, or what makes you think that the fox is going to come up? And they surmise that they are refu- the critters are refugees not meant to live in a sewer, and there is no food down there. So they will eventually have to come up for food. Yeah, Bunce has this great line. He's like, there's nothing for them to eat down there except trash. Uh- well, no. Well, Bogus is there's nothing for them to eat up there. And Bunce is like, trash. Yeah. I mean, a lot of critters eat trash. That's kind of like their thing. Yeah. But then Bean, who's kind of grumpily sitting in the background, not even acknowledging them, says, and not much of it. I think it's funny that Bunce's last line is trash. <laughs> Bogus's last line is um, and Bean is forever a pessimist with not much of it. Yeah, and we talked about so we talked about earlier in the movie when they were sitting around the hole waiting for the like at the hill waiting for Fox mm-hmm. to come out and how that's kind of a nod to the end of the book. Yeah. But now here this is I mean it's the same character arc for the farmers like they're obsessed farmers who are never going to leave this alone. But mm-hmm. in in this case they're sitting around the sewer like hoping that one day Fox will come out. So it's it's essentially the same thing. Yeah. They they it's as much as Wes did change the climax of the book, he still left the ending basically the same. Which is good. If you can get the same emotional resonance and character arcs, but through a different plot, that's, I mean, that's, that's an accomplishment. Absolutely. And yeah, so Bean definitely is look, like, looks the, looks the most mm, angry, angry, disappointed, frustrated. Yeah, like, like this like this definitely is like his obsession that's going to take over his life and like it's obviously not going to get him anywhere. Yeah. Bean is so driven and motivated and he w- is just willing to sit around and not act more. He like rented a giant shovel, like a construction vehicle to dig out a tree. And now he's like I'm going to just sit yeah, it is weird because like earlier they were like it was implied that there was no way to get out, and now they've just found like several ways to get out. Yeah. So I, I don't know why the farmers think that he's going to come out this hole, uh, unless we're meant to assume, and this is probably true, that they're just irrational people at this point, and that it would like the reason they're so obsessed and that they're sitting around this one hole is because they're wrong. Like obviously he could be somewhere else, but they're so obsessed that it's blinded them to any reason. Yeah, and that's definitely the case in this situation. And so, yeah, so Newsman Dan signs off, and I guess we'll sign off to the performances of the three farmers, particularly Michael Gambon as Bean. I don't even remember the other two actors. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I think it's funny that Newsman Dan signs off with a thank you to the farmers. 
as if it's like, thank you for your lines and your contribution to this film kind of thing. <laughs> it's kind of their last acknowledgement of them as people and not just like overbearing figures. Yeah. And I would say in in reality, like it's polite to thank the people who are who's on camera with you if you're like interviewing them. But yeah, I like the kind of meta aspect of it. Yeah. And then we find out newsman Dan has a last name. His last name is Peabody. Peabody. No, that's the thing. I was very, it, he definitely says Peabody and not Peabody because that's definitely how I was going to pronounce it. But I just, I just wanted to say Peabody because it's, it's a funny name. I mean, that's how it's called around here, us northern New England folk. Yeah. Who cares about England? I'm only here for New England. Oh. Whoa. Dab. I didn't actually dab. I just said dab. If you would have actually dabbed, I would have just ended the call, ended the recording. <laughs> Podcast over. Um. So, yeah. So, so the, um, we have a pan down. Yes. It's a very cool shot because, as we know with this claymation that or stop motion animation that we're able to do kind of interesting camera work that we wouldn't normally be able to do. So we're actually able to pan down right from the farmers who are on street level down into these kind of like miniatures of the animals in the sewers. And uh, Condra, a song kicks in. Do you want to just talk about the song real quick? Sure. So Old Man Old Man River, uh, this time performed by the Beach Boys, again, uh, appears. This recording, it's a little funny because it was originally recorded for an album called 2020 that was recorded in 1969. It's kind of like a... Think of like the anthology, like Beatles one anthology, like the the first anthology for the Beatles, where it's a mostly cover songs and like yeah. it's really old classics. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what this album is, except it's a lot later in the Beach Boys career. And this version of Old Man River was supposed to be in melody with another song called Old Folks Home or Old Folks at Home. And... I this obviously this version in Fantastic Mr. Fox is not that but it is very much in tradition with the original song which was a Hammerstein song uh so music by Jerome Kern and lyrics by Oscar Hammerstein the second um from the musical Showboat in 1927 so this song is quite old and has its roots yeah I wouldn't have guessed that it was a like a musical song I assumed it was just like a traditional folk song or something. It, well, that's what it was intended to be. So it is supposed to be like that uh, African American struggle song for the movie or for the musical specifically, though. And there have been a few famous versions of it. Probably one of the biggest ones is by Paul Robison for the film version of Showboat in 1936. And there are a few like old recordings of it from back in the 20s and 30s. And then it kind of it's weird because it didn't it's not necessarily like one of those famous songs, but the musical's pretty big and it just exists. Like I couldn't find anything really specific about the Beach Boys covering it in relation to Showboat or anything like that. So it just kind of seems to exist as its own thing. But there is this history of it being a song talking about um, African-American struggle and although written from a 
white perspective. So, I mean, that's always fun <laughs> to throw in here. But it is very much in tune with the other songs in the soundtrack in that they are covers of more traditional folk-esque songs. Yeah, it's kind of a mix of like the like more rock and roll, like Beach Boys, Rolling Stones, songs that are on the soundtrack. And um, who's the Fuba Wuba John guy? Burl Ives. Burl Ives. It's a, it's a good mix of those those vibes for sure. Yeah, and I think it very it is kind of because it's kind of a sad song, but it is kind of catchy, or it has this emotion to it that you're it's uncertainty, and that's very much what this pan down is. It's all of these critters living in the situation that you're like, what's going on with them? Are they okay? Is this going to get better? It's not really clear. Yeah, I it, you're right. It's an it's an interesting like tonal choice. It's I would I wouldn't call it sad, but it's definitely got this mysterious eerie sound to it. So, in this pan down of the critters, we start with the badger family and Yeah, their son has tonsillitis or something's going on with his tonsils. They're slightly swollen. Fortunately, the female badger is a doctor, a pediatrician specifically, yeah. so she's able to look at her child's tonsils and be like, hmm, it doesn't <laughs> seem super serious right now, but he could have to lose them, so. Yeah, I think she says, hopefully we won't have to take them out. And um, Mr. Badger is quite concerned about having the, his child having to lose their tonsils. Which is nice. I, I feel like we, the stereotype of Badger would have been that he's like more like Fox and kind of a hands-off parent so at least he's concerned yeah definitely and then we pan down again to the rabbit family seemingly reunited or is it just because of this adversity that they are facing that uh rabbit's ex is staying with them or it's really unclear whether they've reconnected or yeah um, i would i would say if i was in an emergency and there was like like an ex that I had kids with, but they still kind of lived around town and we weren't ter- like we weren't like angry at each other. And there was like a literal like emergency. It would probably be nice to stick with that person. Yeah. I mean, if nothing else to take care of the children because they are clearly distressed. One of the rabbit children asks for something to eat. Um, they say they're hungry and uh, the female rabbit is like, here, have some water. Well, there's, there's there's more of a pause to it. She's like, well, there's water. And it's like, oh, what? yes, I don't have an answer for you, obviously. But that's good, though, that they actually have clean water oh, for accessible sure. to them. That's like, I would say, if anything, that's huge. Yeah. And then the other thing is that they have a TV. And yeah. what is that? Yeah, it's really interesting. Well, the Badger family has like a table and a bed and stuff. And I'm like, where did these come from? It's really interesting to see how these different rooms are furnished as we're panning and to think about how they potentially got some of them. Um, So the thing I wanted to say is that um, I don't think we know who this voice actor for the female rabbit is. Really? Yeah. um, I'm pretty, pretty sure that like this is a new like we haven't heard her talk before unless during the food prep, but I don't remember talking about her because I'm going to say who she is right now, and you're going to say, oh. Um, So she's a producer. Her name is Allison Abate, and she's a Hollywood producer. She she has produced um, The Iron Giant, which 
um, won a BAFTA, which she won a BAFTA for because that won a Best Feature or something. Yeah. She produced Corpse Bride, Fantastic Mr. Fox, Frankenweenie. She's an EP on the Lego movie. Amazing. So she she works closely with Tim Burton, it appears, mm-hmm. and apparently just enjoys animation and is probably just in that circle. And this just happens to be something she's acting in. That's really cool. I wonder, too, if because she produced Fantastic Mr. Fox, she was just kind of around for this one-off kind of thing. That would, it, I, yeah, that I would be I believe this assumption. is her only credit, or, like, only line in the movie. For sure. And, like, that would be, like, very logical and based on the trend we've seen so far in this movie where it's just like, okay, you poster designer, just hop in here, say a line. Yeah. So... Did, wait, did we address the fact that they have a TV and we don't know why it's there? Yeah, well, we talked about how all the critters have some sort of furniture and it's unclear how any of them acquired them. Okay, sure. Yeah, I was looking it up, so I was kind of distracted because I realized halfway through that I we didn't know who that actor was. Um, and then we pan further and we have what I'm calling a singles party because these are all <laughs> folks that are kind of unassociated with anyone. Uh, we have Linda the Otter. We have Beaver. Although, we don't have Beaver's son. He's dead. Uh, <laughs> Dill the Mole and Weasel. Stan the Man. And Beaver and Phil are talking about how uh, Phil likes wallpaper, apparently. Oh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember this now. Uh, Beaver just is kind of like telling a story or something. We've just caught a line in it. But Stan the Weasel is off on the side talking about or talking on the phone with someone saying how this is the first time he's been at a party where no one is serving anything. And it's like, dude, everyone <laughs> can hear you. You're just complaining at a party. Like, how inconsiderate. You've just gone through trauma and you're whining. <laughs> it might have just been like a fun fact. Like, sometimes people make observations where it's like, oh, I'm not really meaning this is an insult. It's just like an interesting thing. No, I think the way he was saying it, I think it's an insult. Like, they should be offended. Fair enough. Also, I think it's kind of funny, although um, it unfortunately smashes my headcanon that Phil and Rabbit are together, <laughs> that this is a singles party because these are our folks that we have not seen oh, a yeah. partner for. Other than Beaver with his child who... The child yeah, is uh, have we determined that Beaver is a single father? A lawyer, single father? What a power. I know. But, you know, in terms of singles, I think they all got it. They're, they're doing just fine, especially Linda. She, she's, she's a strong, independent woman, TM. Yes, definitely. <laughs> and we keep scrolling down to uh, the foxes. So we got Felicity painting lightning storms. Nope, she's painting and- a tornado. Oh, a tornado. She's moved past lightning storms. Well, tornadoes and lightning storms are kind of... They're interconnected, like, but yeah, um, there is no lightning in this one. Well, maybe not yet. I don't know if we ever see the conclusion of this painting. I don't think so. But not, not to worry about that, because the more interesting thing is that we have Christofferson, Ash, and Agnes all meditating together. Yeah, and they're like really into it. Especially yeah, Ash, it seems. Yeah, we can hear all three voice actors going, hum. And chanting in general. Yeah. It's cute. It's a way that they've all connected and, like, share the same ground. And it seems like Ash and Christofferson have gotten over their rivalry to some extent over Agnes. 
Yeah, and I think that'll be more clearly defined in later minutes, too. But yeah, it's just coming around on that meditation thing. It's all it's all pretty cool. Yeah. And then we pan a little further, but this time while zooming in on a newspaper. Because Yeah, so it's kind of a it's kind of a jump cut but to something in frame, which is always an interesting effect. So we cut to like we just see a newspaper sitting on a stool. We see a gazette. And, yeah, and then we see the print of the newspaper, which is a callback to early in the film when they were kind of living their domestic life and we had the newspaper. And uh I, I took down some notes on the newspaper clipping, so do you want to just dive into those? Sure, I also did too, so let's go. Okay, so so we have Fo- Fantastic Mr. Fox's column. What's 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 the title of the column? Um, Abroad with Fantastic Mr. Fox or something like that. Uh, right? fan- Fox on the Prowl. Fox on the Prowl. We also have a recipe for a banana peel split, though. Yes, I was confused as to why it was a banana peel split and not a... I was too, and I was trying to read the recipe, and it just sounds like a normal banana split, so I'm not sure. I think what I inferred about it was that it has the banana peel still on it. Like, normally on a banana split, you would take the banana peel off, but part of the joke of this is that you leave the banana peel on. Well, I think part of it too is the banana peel might be the base of it. Okay, that might, that's a good idea too. Okay, so Fox's, Fox's little editorial here he's rambly and just as convoluted as ever nothing's really changed i want to read some direct quotes so and i'm, I'm just going to kind of run through the whole thing i think okay so we all once lived beneath a meadow where the heather ran wild and the clover grew thick in the springtime life has a way of shuffling the deck from time to time so obviously like some yeah kind of just cliche stuff right there not really yeah. well transitioned but I mean, at the end of the day, like, that's what's happened. Like, we, we used to live beneath a meadow, and now life has shuffled the deck. Yeah. Or, I find it funny, though, because the way he's putting it off with, like, oh, life has shuffled the deck. Like, no, this is Mr. Fox's fault. <laughs> he is diverting blame from himself. He is the reason people are living in a sewer. And I mean, yeah, he did somewhat help get them to a more safe place with the diversion kind of thing and like rescuing Christopherson. But still, like this is inherently Mr. Fox's fault. Yeah, you're right. I think he's taking it from a whole and later on this will be more clear, but he's t- taking it from like a whole like chaos cosmic functions in like. Yeah, no, I know. But also he doesn't take ownership. Oh, yeah, and that's an important thing to probably recognize for any movie like this. Like, we know that, like, we came to a good p- point at the end, but also, like, maybe if you weren't a jerk in the first place, things would have been just fine. Yeah. But, Sorry, I don't know. Continue. It, it's also, like, the farmers, like, they didn't need to try to kill everyone. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of blame here, and no one's really taking ownership, so. um, There's a bit about how they're, like, living under a wastewater treatment plant, but he doesn't know where it is, so blah, 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 blah. That, it's funny how that line, like, in an industrial-grade wastewater treatment, like, the way it's worded sounds like it to me. Like, he's, like, there's echoes of things that he's said before, and will yeah, and will say in his final speech too. He writes like he speaks, so it's very yes. vernacular, very yes. Um, and this is very clear because he goes into it, like starts to tell a joke about a Swedish mus- muskrat who got sucked down a whirlpool, and then he says, 
I'm not going to tell the whole thing, but the punchline involves ice cubes, potato vodka, 300 yards of unpack, unwaxed packing twine. And he says that if you pass by him in the sewer, he's willing, he's willing to pantomime the whole joke. So good for him, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and then we go into a random non sequitur to, to a story about his uncle who was eaten by a Doberman, but he says the story's too graphic and he doesn't want to tell it in case his sister-in-law's reading, but she reads a different newspaper anyway. So fingers crossed there. It's funny. Um, so th- we have the name of the other newspaper, and it's the Daily Picayune. Picayune? Yeah, something like that. And it reminded me of the Daily Punctilio from, <laughs> from Series, Series of Unfortunate Events. Yeah, that's that's funny, yeah. And then I was like, wow, another nonsense newspaper. <laughs> Wait until the, my readers at the Daily Punctilio hear about this. Exactly. Okay, and then I just have everything, everything else he says I think is pertinent to read, especially the stuff at the end. Yes. Um, he says, I overheard my wife say sadly on the telephone, it's been a terrible year. Sometimes it's better not to know, especially if she wasn't going to tell you. Um, and I mean, this part's fair. Like, yes, it has been a terrible year. Felicity's right. And it is kind of like a, a truism of marriage, maybe, that like you don't want to hear something that's someone's not ready to share yet. Yeah. But also I think like he should potentially notice that his wife is how like how they can best support each other and there clearly isn't a two-way connection all the time between them this is very um, true it and it can be very one way and like as important as it is to be an independent like you're also a supporter of your partner and that that should be there too which it doesn't seem like it always is of course and at this point in the character arc we get the sense that he is more supportive and will it'll be clearer later in the movie. Yeah. He goes on to say, they say things happen for a reason, but they don't. They happen for a lark and from the wellspring of limitless, infinite chaos. Sometimes this can be hysterically funny and sometimes it, it's a kick in the teeth, uh, which I think rings true. It's the sort of thing that Wes Anderson makes movies about, kind of how like things happen and sometimes there aren't always reasons why except for the fact that in this case there are reasons why it's because the characters act a certain way. But yeah. it, the, the idea that like in some ways it's funny and in some ways it's a kick in the teeth, it's it's good about this kind of dramedy genre that Wes Anderson works in. Dramedy? Yeah. I've just never, never heard, heard that. dramedy? Not spoken oh, wow. aloud. But the thing I was going to say was that this idea of um, they happen for a lark and from the wellspring of limitless, infinite chaos. Sometimes this can be hysterically funny and sometimes it's a kick in the teeth. What that does, to, like if you just read me that quote out like out loud in general, I would have I would have penned mm-hmm. that to be something in a Coen Brothers film that very much describes yeah. the vibe of the Coen Brothers. They're very into nihilism and the idea that like things happen randomly. And if you think about the films they made in, 2007 and 2008 which are no country for old men and burn after reading both of those movies are about just how random things happen in life and like everything like everything's terrible and lots of people die except one's like one of the most serious dramas ever and one's just a comedy kind of making fun of spy movies and so it's interesting that such different ranges of emotion are possible through this and the idea that something so like something so pertinent is kind of buried in this this scene and this kind of like throwaway visual is it's impressive to me and i want to get back to that idea because i think the line that he's about to say is even more important 
and so before we get, before we get to the really strong stuff, he says, um, "My apologies may ring hollow, but they ring frequently. What to do? What to do?" And um, yeah, that's kind of just some meaningless schlock right there. What what is what? Like my apologies may ring hollow, but they re- ring frequently. That that literally means nothing. It. It's one of those people that like apologizes too much, but you know they're never sincere, and you're like, "Don't waste your breath. I don't want to hear it from you." Yeah, and so like by acknowledging this, what is he saying? He's like, "Yep, I I, I never mean it when I apologize. He's I know like, I'm the worst." So I don't I don't know what he's trying to do there. But yeah. this last bit is I think maybe like the most important thing in the movie, and I, I I don't know I got I got a little emotional last night when I was reading it. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, I'm not the fox I used to be, not by choice. But these days when I look myself in the mirror, I try to keep a straight face. At some point, maybe I won't feel the need to turn away. Wow. That's really... I'm happy for Fox that he's finally... See- well, I mean, I'm happy and, like, it's not good for him that he doesn't like who he is right now. But... I'm also glad that he's starting to come to terms with himself as who he is and is starting to try and figure out how to be a better person. Yeah, and I think part of it is that, like, what we never get spoken in this movie is how, like, Fox acts the way he does because of his own insecurities, Yeah. right? So we he was probably a lot like Ash when he was younger and, like, needed to act a certain way and put on a facade so people liked him. Mm-hmm. And so he kind of, so he's always kind of lived this life where he needs to act a certain way because otherwise people won't think he's the quote unquote fantastic Mr. Fox. Mm-hmm. But the idea that he looks in, he looks himself in the mirror and he he doesn't like what he sees. He he can't reconcile with himself. It's kind of it's kind of painstaking in that way where it's like he, this is a man who who doesn't like who he is and through going through this experience of kind of self-acknowledgement he's getting better. And we don't get that textually in the movie except for a newspaper clipping that's impossible to read in the amount of time they show you. Yeah. So I think the fact that they include this here kind of, I don't know, it adds it adds something to the movie that, like, it's increased my appreciation of the, appreciation of the movie even higher than I thought it could. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's one of the things that people struggle with the most is actually liking themselves. And, like, some people can never quite come to terms with that, but... The fact that Fox is trying to do right by himself is it's encouraging and it does add an emotional weight to the movie that stands it for being more than just a children's film. Yeah. And it's an emotional sincerity, too, that we don't usually get from him. Mm -hmm. We've we've had these moments in the movie where we kind of argue like, okay, does he mean it when he says he's sorry? But in this in this case, the for these three sentences, this is the most I feel like this is the most sincere we've ever seen Fox. And maybe it's because of those insecurities where it's easier to put something into writing than to say it, to say it out loud. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I'm just glad he did it. Yeah. So we then zoom back to the um, meditation in the, the room. And we have uh, Miss, uh, Mr. Fox and Kylie crawling through a tunnel and open into the room and they call them forth to something that Mr. Fox has found. Yeah. And Fox is like, oh, what's up this ladder? We kind of cut to them in a different part of the sewer, kind of in a regular medium shot as opposed to a long, like a longer, further away shot than we were in before. Yeah. And 
Felicity starts saying like, oh, no, Fox, it's filthy. Yeah. It's like, and why are we And that's kind of where the minute ends. Yeah. So there's a lot, like, the emotional weight of this movie is finally being realized. And I think these next couple minutes, we're going to continue to kind of settle into who Fox has become and who Ash has become and how their family has grown emotionally and literally with the addition of Christopherson and Agnes and Kylie. Yeah, potential confirmation that Agnes is an orphan that they're adopting. Yeah. But yeah, let's save the kind of last scene conclusion stuff for the next stuff. episode. Because yeah. this is, this is we're, we're literally in the transition from like falling action to conclusion. denouement yeah. officially. Yeah. Oh. But yeah, like you said, like good emotional minute and the old man river's uh, a good touch to it. Yes. All right, you want to call it there? Sure. Okie dokie. So um, this has been Fantastic Minute. Next time will be minute 78. Yeah, we're just going to keep talking about this movie. It's almost over. I didn't realize how many minutes of credits there were going to be. Yeah. But uh, hey, we're going to push through. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, at Amateur Nerds is the place to go. Or for me personally, it's at Tyler Booty, T-Y-L-E-R-B-O-U-D-Y. Email at amateurnerdspresent at gmail.com. Rate, review, subscribe on whatever podcatcher you're listening to. And catch you next time for another fantastic episode of Fantastic Mr. Fox. We hope... Oh, I've been Tyler Boudreau. I've been Condra. You'd think I'd have the ending done uh, in my head by now, nope. but nope, we're still working on it. We hope you have a fantastic day. Fantastic.